Well, good morning, friends, and happy Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Well, uh, for those both joining us in the room and online, my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and it's our joy and our privilege to have you with us uh, this Easter Sunday. And today, we want to, in our teaching time, look together at that account, one of the accounts of the very first Easter mornings. And we're going to see there three invitations and three movements uh, that were extended invitations to those who were present and that also apply to each and every one of us as we sit with and experience uh, what we're calling the imminence of Easter from Matthew chapter 28. And first of all, we have to do a little bit of work uh, defining our terms and, and what in the world does this word imminence mean? Because it's not a word that we use very frequently in day-to-day -day conversation. But if something is imminent, what does that mean? What do you understand that to mean? Something is about to happen. Yes. All right. Maybe you use it in casual conversation more than the average person does. So oftentimes, we use this word in a negative light, don't we? It's something negative is about to happen. So for example, we'll say someone is in imminent danger if something really bad is about to happen. And I can remember one day I was chaperoning a middle school field trip and we were hiking uh, up in Minicata Park in Coquitlam. And all of a sudden we had our dog with us. And all of a sudden, a uh, few Hannah was on this hike and a, a the dog just started behaving very oddly and stiffening and barking in a way that I had not heard our little dog bark before. And, and so I was bringing up the, the rear of this group of students and we were casually conversing. And all of a sudden, I looked to my left and several yards, just a few yards off of the path is a mother bear and several bear cubs. And the mother bear is kind of lumbering in a way, and the dog is getting more agitated, and now I'm getting more agitated thinking we've got these groups of students, and the first middle schooler that says, hey, look at the cute little bears. This is going to be a disaster. We are in imminent danger, and sure enough, the park ranger comes barreling down the path towards us in a golf cart with a gun loaded and pointed at the bear and ready to move at a moment's notice. And, and the teachers and I just jumped into kind of that serene mode that you do in imminent danger situations and say, nothing to see here, keep hiking, kids. Let's go. Come on, move along, move along. And we passed our way out of that time and that season. But it could have got really bad really quick. I felt like we were in imminent danger. And maybe you have your own stories of imminent danger that are coming to your mind uh, as you think about these words and that story. But when something is imminent, we, we tend to think and act differently. We act with a little bit more heightened sense of awareness. We act with a heightened sense of urgency. And, and we often are ready to respond in a different way when we feel like something is imminent. And the story of the first Easter actually takes place against a backdrop 
of imminence that helps us understand really what's going on in Matthew chapter 28. So let's talk a little bit about that history for a moment, and then we'll look at our text. Um, the, in the first century, the, the ancient Jews of Palestine had been reading their scriptures diligently and well, and they were understanding and fully expected that imminently they were promised a deliverer that God was going to rescue them in some way. And they had expectations that this, this liberation was imminent in their world and in their lives. They believed strongly that God was going to save them from the Romans who were occupying their country at that time. And they believed that the leader would arise, the Messiah, which means the one who saves, a new kind of Moses who would lead the people away and out of this slavery and oppression to Rome just like Moses had done to the ancient people of Egypt and they would be ushered into a time of peace, order, and good government like the British North America Act promised them. But despite several attempts over really millennia, 400 plus years, there had been little spurts and fits of this, small groups of militia that would try and rise up against Rome and they would be beaten down and these rebellions were always dealt with very, very swiftly and harshly and quashed by the Roman military. And so you can imagine this period of 400 years just waiting and waiting for something to happen and these little glimmers of hope and then nothing, little glimmer of hope and then nothing. And after a while, the imminence kind of bleeds out of the room. And you start to think, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. This deliverance that we've been promised, it just doesn't seem like God's remembering any of that. And then Jesus arrives on the scene into this mix. And Jesus begins to teach with authority. Jesus begins to heal. Jesus begins to to lead a group of people and, and some people's hopes begin to swell and they begin to follow Jesus and they begin to pay attention to his message and they wonder, could he be the one? Is he the one that's going to liberate us? Listen to the way that he talks with such incredible authority. Is he the liberator? Is he going to throw off the Roman oppression and save us? And Jesus moves through his ministry and expectations grow even more and more and larger and larger crowds follow him. And then we follow Jesus through the last week leading into Easter, the Holy Week. We follow him through Palm Sunday and the crowds that are, that are, that are crying, yes, here's the one who is going to save us. And then Jesus is betrayed by a friend. He's tried by the Jewish religious court system. The sentence is executed by the Romans, the Roman governor. Jesus is nailed to a Roman cross, is buried in a borrowed tomb, and just like all of those other little liberation revolutionaries, the hopes that rose with them and maybe rose with Jesus also began to fall. People said it. Oh, he saved others. Couldn't save himself even. So he's certainly not going to save me or save us. Or so they thought. Because that's not the end of the story. 
I love how the story of Easter in Matthew 28 has this sense of imminence just all over it. So turn with me in your Bibles or in your app to Matthew chapter 28. And this is the first century eyewitness account of the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this story begins in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, at daybreak. And so we revived our tradition again this year of a meeting down at the Fraser River at the break of day. We had several uh, people from Jericho Ridge there. And Sandy Young, uh, thank you, Sandy. You led us so capably and taught so well uh, and winsomely from God's word this morning. And my cup of coffee had kicked in, so I was awake. And I was paying attention, and I appreciated uh, what you had to say. Uh, but that tradition of an early morning service comes from this text, because Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 says, early, early on Sunday morning, that first day of the week, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene, one of the women who'd followed Jesus, and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, sat on it. His face shone like lightning, his clothes were as white as snow, and the guards shook with fear when they saw him and fell into a dead faint. So let's pause here for just a moment because fear a very real fear, an imminent sense of fear that's brought on by imminent danger is a very real part of this Easter story. Always in this part of the Gospels, when Jesus appears to people, he has to, or an angel appears, they have to say, don't be afraid. And the reason is, people have legitimate reasons to be afraid. The, the guards here it makes perfect sense to me. There's been an earthquake and an angelic visitation. I would be afraid. <laughs> they were gripped with fear to the point where they, they fainted. It overcame them and overwhelmed them. And, and one of the questions of Easter that we're invited to ponder is this, this question of our fears. And what are you afraid of? I think if I had an angelic visitation and an earthquake combined, I'd be afraid as well. And when you ask people and pollster survey and ask people, what are you afraid of? People say things like public speaking. They say things like spiders. But right up there, always up there, is another one that's a little more substantive than both of those, and that is death. If people are honest, people are willing to admit and say, I ah, I'm afraid about death. See, in our culture, we mostly push death out of our minds. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it a lot. If it comes up, we brush it away. We, we especially do this if we're young or we're healthy or we're able-bodied in some way. Our, our mortality seems distant from us in some way. But then something happens. Something comes into your life. Maybe it's a brush with cancer or an illness of some kind, or maybe a member of your family dies. Or you watch what's happening on the nightly news in Ukraine. And death begins to intrude on your life and on your thinking in a different way. And it can feel very disorienting. 
And it can feel very fearful to begin to think about and contemplate what death might mean and, and look like. We've, we've been closer to death in our family over the last couple of months. Last weekend, my uncle passed away. And then the month before that, Meg's grandmother uh, passed away at the age of 101. And at moments like that, when you get that phone call, you're reminded again of death and of your own mortality. And so the question that each of us has to wrestle with at some point in our lives is, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of death? Why or why not? And the Christian faith actually has a, a powerful answer to this question because of the experience of the first Easter. So let's keep reading in Matthew 28, verses 5 to 7. The angels come and they give the women at the tomb an imminent message. Verse 5, Matthew 28. The angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And the women then receive uh, a secondary imminent confirmation of this in verse 8. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but they were also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, and they grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. An imminent message with immediate confirmation that Jesus gives to the woman. But that message that the angels gave to them is not just for them and for their original hearers. It's for you and for me as well. He is not here, speaking of Jesus. He has risen just as he said would happen. See, the story of Easter asks us to interrogate our fear of death. And let us know that Jesus didn't just sort of casually get up and walk out of the grave. He didn't just rise from the dead that first Easter. He also defeated death. He overcame it, which has powerful implications for you and for me and for our own mortality because it means that if Jesus has defeated death and he has, we're going to read in a few verses, all authority, meaning he has authority over death, it has implications for you and for me and for what we think about death. In our 
uh, Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith, which is a summary of our convictions about what the Bible teaches on a range of topics, we say it this way, quote, since Christ destroyed the power of death by his resurrection, believers, those who have trust and faith and confidence in Christ, need not be afraid of death, the last enemy. And the reason is because it's been defeated. Now, you might naturally feel the process, fear the process of dying or, or be fearful about how that might happen for you. But if you're a person who places your hope and your confidence in Jesus, you do not have to live with a crippling fear of death because when you place your confidence and trust in Jesus and in what Jesus has done, Jesus rose from the grave to overcome death by the power of his resurrection. And so it's in this that we see our first movement or our first invitation. And because Jesus defeated death, we can move from fear to hope. We do not have to live in fear. We can live in hope. Not a hope that's glib, not a hope that is sort of, um, that is otherworldly and denying of death in non-meaningful ways, but with a hope that actually has an anchor point beyond the grave. And maybe for you, friend, you have lived either for a short period of time in your life or for the whole of your life with, with this sense of a fear of death. You just don't know. And whenever, whenever it comes up, you are the first one to change the topic because you do not want to face and think about the implications of this. It, it cripples you in some way. And the good news of Easter is that you do not have to live that way. You can experience resurrection hope. Jesus' invitation to the women Jesus' invitation to his first followers is his invitation to you and me, and that is do not be afraid. You can move from fear to hope. And we would love to walk with you on that journey. If that's something that's new for you, if you're exploring what that means, at the end of the gathering, we'll have people available at the back to pray with you and to listen to you, and they can share their own story with you. And the question that I want to ask you is, what would, it, what would it look like? What would it feel like for you to actually begin to walk away from being gripped by that fear of death? Because it's possible to live with resurrection hope. Let's keep reading in Matthew 28. We're going to see two other movements that you and I can make as a result of the resurrection. But let's just return to the guards for a moment and their story. And we're going to see how the resurrection got mired in a little bit of imminent confusion. Matthew 28, verse 11. So as the women are on their way, some of the guards were revived and they went into the city. And they told the leading priests what would happen. And a meeting with the elders was called. And they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, hey, you, you have to say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and stole the body. And if the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you and you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe 
and said what they were told to say. And so a story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it to this day. So others who were close to Jesus had a slightly different experience of confusion and doubt. Let's keep reading. In verse 16, the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the resurrection story. We have two things happening here. We've got this sense of intentional deception by the political and religious powers who had a lot to lose if Jesus was who Jesus claimed to be. But right alongside of this, we have this other group of people who have made a commitment in their lives to follow Jesus. They, they went to Galilee. That's not a short journey. And they showed up because Jesus and the woman said, hey, I'm going to meet you there. So they make this trip and they see Jesus again resurrected from the grave with their own eyes and they worship him but also in the mix is a sense of that they doubted. And I want to say just a word about doubt or different types of doubt because right in this passage we kind of have two examples of two kinds of of doubt. There, there is a kind of doubt that I think is actually healthy. It's a good, robust kind of doubt. And it's a kind of doubt that just has an inquiring mind that wants to know answers to things. It's pushing in and saying, I, I need to know more. I need more information about this. I need to process this more. I need, I need you to talk with me more about this. But there's also a negative kind of doubt, which is linked often to cynicism. A healthy doubt is just asking questions about what you believe about God. Why and where did you get that belief from? And then there's, there is a cynical kind of doubt that's disingenuine a little bit. And we have both going on in this text. The very first Easter, some people saw angels and earthquakes and chose to perpetuate a lie some people saw Jesus and worshipped and yet still doubted. But the, the big difference is how those two groups of people processed their questions and their doubts. And while I don't agree with everything he has to say, I like the way the biblical scholar Richard Beck says this about the difference between doubt and faith. He says this, quote, In the Bible, faith is never understood to be unshakable intellectual confidence. In the Bible, faith is, is more similar to perseverance, to obedience, to covenant faithfulness, or to worship. See, some of those who identified as disciples, as followers of the risen Jesus, they still also identified as doubters and said, I'm not 100% sure about all of these things, but you know what I'm still willing to do? I'm still willing to worship. I'm still willing to actually press in in faithfulness to this Jesus. I'm still willing to inquire, to check it out for myself. What about you? Here we come to our second movement 
that is our second invitation in the Easter story. And that is, what would it look like for you to move from being closed to being more open? And by closed, I mean intellectually, spiritually, and in every way. You're just like, this, this Jesus talk, resurrection business, I want none of it. I'm with the guards on this one. It's just a lie. What would it look like for you to just consider being more open, asking questions, pressing in, seeking answers? Not, you may not move to the place this Easter where you just say, oh, I believe everything that Jesus said and did. I believe that he walked out of that grave that first Easter morning. But what would it look like for you to walk away this morning a little less closed than you were before? Instead of keeping your mind and heart closed to all aspects of faith, just do some additional investigation with both your head and your heart and allow yourself to see if God might be revealing God's self to you in some way. And you might find yourself even willing to be among those who worship and yet who are still wrestling, who don't have all of the answers. And friend, if that's you, you would find yourself in good company here at Jericho Ridge. We're a group of people who loves to process questions together. In fact, if you have questions uh, and you're here and, and you say, I, I just need somebody to process with that. Obviously, our staff are available as well. Uh, but we'd also love to just open up again and offer. Just text your questions to us at 844-650-1629. Might be a question about faith that you have. Might be a question about something that you hear on Sunday morning. A question of something that we do. These are all anonymous. They come to us. And then uh, we'll, we'll look after that on a coming up Sunday morning and respond to it in our teaching time. So you might want to take a picture of that number, and we'd love to engage with some of your questions that way. So movement one, from fear to hope. Movement two, from close to open. Let's keep reading. The last few verses will come upon movement number three, because Matthew's account of the resurrection actually goes all the way to the ascension, Jesus' departure back into heaven. But he leaves his followers with something, his imminent presence. Let's read in verse 18 of Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands that I have given you. And you can be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, friends, this is the great promise of Easter. I am with you, Jesus says, always to the very end of the age. The great promise of Easter is that Jesus will be with us. And friends, the reason that this is such a great and precious promise is that the world can be a harsh and unforgiving place. 
The news can be depressing and overwhelming. The challenges of everyday life can feel insurmountable. But in God's providence, God raised Jesus from the grave, seated him at the right hand in God's presence in the heavenly realm, sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to be with you and in you. And Jesus promised and said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I am with you, Jesus says. From your first breath to beyond your last, I am always with you. And friend, maybe that's the word that you needed to hear today because life is challenging. And that's the flip side and the shadow side of, of imminence. Once the thing that you thought was going to happen feels like it isn't going to happen, just like those who are waiting for an imminent Messiah and a Savior. Once the bear passes into the woods or the kids pass along the trail, the intensity dissipates and things start to feel less imminent and more, well, just routine. And that's kind of the time that we find ourselves in. It's a time between the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus because he promised to return. And 2,000 years plus have come and gone. Easter's celebrated. And it can hard, be hard to live in a state of imminence when it comes to relating to Easter, a state of imminent readiness. You know, over this last season, uh, some of you were uh, out in places where you were put on imminent alert in case you had to evacuate for a forest fire or an alert for a flood that might have trapped you in some location. And you get the first notice and you're like, right, we have to be totally ready to go. You get the 16th notice, the 32nd notice, you start to feel a little less imminent about the threat in some ways and you just get a little more casual with things and your bags get a little less packed and ready to go. And, and this is just a normal part when things are delayed. And it can be easy to become discouraged and even to become apathetic when something doesn't happen quickly or the way that you want it to. And this can happen in our faith journey as well, as individuals or as a community. Well, what do you do? What do you do in those moments, in those times where you just feel like, yeah, the great promise of Easter is Jesus will be with us, but I'm just not feeling it. It's a challenging place to find ourselves in when you feel like it's been too long since you've had that encounter with Jesus. One of the things that can be helpful for us is instead of casting our eyes backward to the resurrection, turn and face forward to Christ's second coming. And the scripture reminds us that we actually don't know when the day or the time will be, although I bumped into someone last month that told me it would be in September. He was quite confident of it. <laughs> but if we turn and face that direction, 
we can, we can recapture perhaps some of that sense of imminence. This is the way that we phrase it in our confession of faith. We believe that our Lord Jesus Christ will return visibly and triumphantly at the end of the present age. And so the church must always be prepared, be ready to meet the Lord, living in expectation of his imminent return. And friends, I just want to acknowledge today that Easter joy can be a real challenge when you feel like it's a marathon. You've already run one and you don't know what distance lies ahead yet. And this is where I want to take us back to that last phrase of Matthew's gospel. We do not know how long history has left on that clock for you as an individual or for us as a global community. But we do know that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and that he has also given you and I an assignment while we wait in readiness. We are to be and to make disciples, followers. We are to learn to obey all of the commands that Jesus has given us for our benefit and for the blessing of the world. And if we fall asleep at the wheel because it seems to us that the return of Christ is non-imminent, we may well miss the resurrection joy that Jesus invites us into today here with him. And so movement number three is perhaps a, simply a reminder that the road, yes, it might be hard and long and the daily grind of following Jesus in a fallen world is certainly challenging. And it can feel very, very daily. But do not give up. Remain as best as you are able in a state of readiness because the presence of the risen Christ is what moves us from being unprepared to being prepared, from non-ready to ready to persevere. Jesse and the worship in song team is coming up, but as we close the teaching portion of our Easter morning together, I want to remind you of the fact that when, when someone is with you, truly with you, walking that journey and helping you be readied in a meaningful way. That journey feels less lonely and more meaningful. You have a sense of security, a freedom from fear. When someone strong walks with you, someone who defeated an enemy like death, you can live in confident hope. And that is what Easter imminence is all about. Not just that the presence of Christ is walking with you, but that we as a community also desire to be with you and to walk with you right now. Uh, to love you, to connect with you, to shoulder the burdens and challenges of life when your arms are weary and you feel like you cannot carry on. This is our Easter responsibility to be imminently present to each other in times of need and challenge. This is our hope and confidence that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Let me pray with you and for you.
Jesus, we can speak to you in this way because of our hope and confidence that you are living and active and present and here right now by your Spirit. We thank you for that. We choose not to take it for granted. We choose to orient and live with our eyes fixed on you and our eyes fixed on each other in places of need in our world. Grant us resilient strength and perseverance, not just by our own initiative, but by your spirit to persevere when it seems like the road is long. Strengthen us for this work. Strengthen our faith when it is weak. Strengthen our, our desire and willingness and ability to worship even in the midst of our doubts. Thank you for being present and for being with us so that we do not have to be afraid. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, our practice here at Jericho is to have people that are available for you at the side and at the back. And today that's Gary and Meg and Allie. If you're in the room or if you're online, uh, you can email prayer at jerichoridge.com and we would love to be in touch and respond to you in that way. Maybe you came with a heavy burden on your heart. Maybe you came with something that you needed to process with someone. We would love to journey with you in that way as we sing of the wonderful never stopping, never giving up kind of love that Christ demonstrated. Let's stand and respond in these songs of worship.